0: You want to grab your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven. We have made it to the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. If he does not come back in the next month or so, I think we might actually finish it. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and so you can grab that. I think we're gonna be on page eight twelve. And if you don't have a Bible, that's there for the taking. So take it, make it yours, mark in it, it's yours for free. And they say there's no free lunch, there are free Bibles. I guess you had to come today, so it's not quite free, but let's stand and uh, we'll read from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, this is Jesus speaking. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged and with your measure and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye you hypocrite first take the log first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us today. You have spoken to us. You are speaking to us even as we read that. That is your voice speaking to us, and so teach us, draw us near, let us know more about your gospel of grace and what it means to live in that grace and live in this new kingdom that you've brought about. We love you and thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, this kind of rolls off like a... Uh, a stand up comedian or something, doesn't it? Like, if you don't see the humor here from Jesus, this is funny stuff. His exaggeration is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he, he really goes to the extreme lengths in his exaggeration a log in your eye and a small speck in the other eye. If you can picture that, it's quite a funny picture. It's the thing that kind of cartoons are made out of, you know, and we laugh when we see such things. And then, secondly, you know, he talks not only about that exaggeration, but then at the end, he calls people dogs and pigs. And so that's another, you know, quite humorous, I suppose, as long as you're not on that end of the spectrum receiving that, it's quite funny, I suppose. And so to, to start your sentence with do not judge and then end your talk with you dogs and pigs, I mean, that's funny, right? That's quite a turn there. Either he's kind of doesn't practice what he preaches or he's absolutely brilliant, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see here as we look into this. Here's the uh, sermon summary for us. Judging grows out of the soil of denial. Judging grows out of the soil of denial. Now, this sentence is known by just about everybody. This phrase, judge not, you know, don't judge, If you've never read the Bible in your entire life, don't even know it exists, you know of that statement, don't judge, right? People use it all the time. They have no idea who said it. They don't know that Jesus said it, but they use it all the time. Don't judge. And it's applied to absolutely anything. And so we have to say, is that really what Jesus is doing here? Is Jesus saying here, you know, don't make any judgments about right or wrong? Uh, don't say anything. Don't tell any, anyone that what they think is wrong or what they're doing is wrong. Don't disagree in any way with anything. Is that what Jesus is doing? Well, there's a range of meanings here with this word to judge, right? It can be like an evaluation, uh, like I didn't judge the distance correctly, you know, or kind of like uh, the idea of, you know, in hindsight, that wasn't a great choice. That's kind of the idea of, of judging, like saying it probably not, wasn't the best idea. But is, is Jesus saying in that way, don't ever evaluate? Is that what he's saying? I, I don't think he probably is. Uh, D.A. Carson, who is a, a writer and a New Testament scholar, he puts it just really well when he says, it certainly does not command the sons of God to be amorphous, undiscerning blobs who never under any circumstance whatsoever hold any opinions about right or wrong. Better than I could have stated it. We are not amorphous, undiscerning blobs. Praise God. It doesn't even work, right? Because when people say, hey, don't judge. Don't tell people what they're doing is wrong. Except for me right now telling you not to judge people who don't. You see how that doesn't even make sense. You're doing the exact same thing you're telling people not to do. The meaning of judge here seems to be much more along the line of judgmental, critical about, um, we'll see, critical about someone else. But notice it's not necessarily just someone else. Notice three times just in these first five verses, you see your brother. So we're not just talking about anyone necessarily. Jesus is being very specific, and he says, Your brother's eye say to your brother and then again in five, your brother's eye. So he's not just talking about, you know, in the public square necessarily. I think he's talking about in the church, which I find really ridiculous. I mean, this proves that the Bible is so out of date because judging in in the church just doesn't happen, you know? (sighs) I don't know why he would even talk about such a thing. Well, here's the first problem he says with judging. The first thing he says is it's like a boomerang. Okay, when you chuck that sucker out there and you think it's all good, you just judge somebody, and then it comes right back and just drills you right between the eyes or knocks your teeth out. That's what he says when he says, for the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so if we understand what Jesus said back in chapter 5, what he said was, that the law is the great equalizer, right? The law flattens everyone. So how then can we go and start judging one another when the law has flattened everyone? Do you really want to go to the law? Is that what you would like to do? Oh, you want to use the law to judge people? Great. Sit down. Let's talk. You know, you don't want that. I don't want that. So why are we taking that, Jesus is saying, and applying it To other people. Don't get into that game. Judging grows out of the soil of denial. Now, in our house, this sometimes sounds like this. One of the kids will come to us, you know, telling us about the egregious sin of another little human being in our house. And Kate and I will often respond, could you imagine someone who would be so selfish as to take that toy and not even care Can you imagine someone with a selfish heart like that? Huh. I mean, it doesn't work at all. They just stare at us like, what? Or I I might hear that every once in a while, perhaps, from Kate as I judge someone. Can you imagine, Ryan, someone who's so self-centered that they would act like that? And I think, how long, oh Lord, do I have to put up? No, I'm just kidding. I don't think that. That's exactly right. If you want to start this judging thing, be careful. It's going to come back to get you. If you want to apply this law to everyone, whether it's the actual law of God or just one you've made up in order to judge them, regardless, it's coming back like a boomerang It's going to hit you in the mouth. My brother used to make this thing called a fairness chart for his kids. So whenever they would claim, that's not fair, he'd be like, oh, fair. Come on, come with me over to the fairness chart right here. It says that 30% of the world doesn't have food to eat. Do you want Fair. And he would just go down the list, you know, no clothes, no food, no iPad, blah, 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 blah. So if you'd like fair, I'm happy for us to live into this fairness chart, if you will. I see, it just really came back to get them, this idea that they needed everything to be fair. Sermon summary is, judging grows out of the soil of denial. Here's what the denial is all about. There's this idea in Christianity that the Reformers had, and it's called the depravity of the human soul. Um, Just think the um, sinfulness of our souls. The depravity of our souls means that it's comprehensive. It's touched every area of our life. There's no area that's left untouched by sin. It's completely comprehensive. So if you miss that or forget that, as we often do, then what happens is judging starts to enter. And we start to think things like, I'm not that bad. I could never do something like that. How could someone do that? And we've forgotten and we're living in denial of chapter 5, where Jesus goes through and flattens us all with the law and says, none of you live up to the righteous standard of God. I want to show you something called the cross chart, which I think is kind of helpful here. Sorry you can't read so much, but I'll I'll help. So that top line, it says growing awareness of God's holiness. And then the bottom line says growing awareness of my flesh and sinfulness. So as time goes along, once you get faith in God, in Christ, that's kind of the, the, the very beginning there. You see how small the gap is between those two things growing awareness of God's holiness and growing awareness of my flesh and sinfulness. So most of the time when we first come to faith, we have this idea, yes, I get the idea that there's a gap, right? That God is holy and I'm not, that I can't meet the law essentially, even if we wouldn't state it like that. But it's kind of small. It's like, yeah, I've, I mean, I've lied before. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm a sinner. I'm a bad person. I've taken things that aren't mine, all that. But then as we go along in life, as God would have it, we understand our sinfulness more and more. And it's worse than we thought. And we're also, uh, by God's grace, we're understanding more about His holiness. We're reading His Word. We're getting to know more about Him. And so our understanding of His holiness and His standard is just going through the roof. And we've got a huge, way bigger problem than we thought. But the good news of the gospel is that even at that smallest little spot, the gap, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And his cross, his life and death and resurrection that is our hope. And so the, the, the idea is that as, as we go along in our, in our Christian life, that the cross and what Jesus has done becomes bigger and bigger and bigger to us. It hasn't changed, but you get the idea. It, it, it becomes so much more precious to us because of these things that are going in opposite directions. So if we forget that, imagine that being shrunk down and sort of the path straightened, you know, as we forget our depravity, as we forget how sinful we actually are. What does it mean to be a sinner? We realize, yes, is it is it immorality? Yes, it's immorality for sure, but it's so much more comprehensive than that. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Sin is so much more deceptive than being just immorality, it's blindness to the extent of your sin. And get this, blindness that's so blind, it has no idea it's blind. And it actually goes and helps other people try to see. A blind person telling other people about things they're not seeing. Do you get the humor here from Jesus? That's ridiculous. And that's part of the depravity of our soul. So here's maybe what it looks like. I wish I wouldn't have picked such a heavy log. Uh, hey, you should really come closer. That speck in your eye, if you want to see like that, hold on, let me move around here so I can see. Oh, yeah. So this little speck right there, you, you really want to look into that. I can't believe you can't see that. I can't believe that doesn't bother you. Gosh, you really should look into that because that is going to cause problems in your life. Blessings, brother. I'll pray for you. We'll see you. I mean, this is ridiculous, isn't it? That's what Jesus is talking about. Whew. That's, that's the picture of what he's saying. It's, it's, it's absolutely silly. When we forget our depravity, when we forget that, that descending line on the cross chart, and start to think that we're not quite as bad as we thought. Now, let's talk about this character here that doesn't quite see their own sin. This character that has a log in his or her eye and helping others with the speck. What do we know about this person? The first thing we know is that they're not very self-aware. That's pretty clear. They probably haven't spent much time looking in a mirror. Uh, They haven't spent much time doing things like this, asking a trusted friend, hey, um, how have you been experiencing me lately? Or how do people perceive me? Um, Am I loving towards others? There's there's probably not a lot of that happening because they're not very self-aware. And they don't engage in sort of reflection of, of what they've done and why they've done it. And they're not a part of the type of community, my guess is, that that stuff happens. They must not be part of a loving community of people who would graciously and warmly and carefully love them and respond to their requests to help them see who they really are. They must not be a part of that. We need that because, again, we are blind. Judging grows out of the soil of denial, denial of this depravity of our soul. The third thing we know about them is that they're blind hunters, which is rare, I would hope right? Blind hunters. They're blind spec hunters. They're very dedicated to noticing your sin and shortcomings and to pointing those out. So, they have like 20-20 vision when it comes to your life and your sin, and like 28 billion when it comes to their life and their sin, right? It's very skewed, thus the log in their eye. Now, here's an example of this with David and Nathan from 2 Samuel. So David, if you're not familiar with the Bible, was a king. He was like a big player, uh, somebody that is a, is, a, is a type of Christ. He sort of points us to Christ. He's one of the kings. He's a, a big deal in the Bible. And look at David. He's, he's uh, slept with someone who's not his wife. Big problems there. He's uh, kind of just denying his sin, I suppose, and his gracious good friend Nathan. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but a little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he he brought it up and grew it up with him with his children. He used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herds to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did did this thing and because he had no pity. What a righteous man David is. And then Nathan. You are the man. Get the log out of your eye, David. That's you. And then David, praise God, goes on to repent. But do you see that picture? Is that, that sounds like a familiar story, probably, because it's a part of most of our lives as well, as we judge and deny our own sin. Judging grows out of the soil of denial. What does it look like when people, uh, w- with the people Jesus here is talking to? I think it's helpful to think about, remember, who Jesus is around right here. He's talking a lot to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious people that are there. And so, view this through the lens of, like, the summary of the law that Jesus has, which is love God and love your neighbor. That's how he summarizes the entire law. And so, what would judging look like? What would log in your eye and speck in someone else's eye look like if we just understand that, that those broad categories, love God and love your neighbor. Maybe it would look like people saying, you know what, you're not fasting twice a week like us. You're not bold enough in your prayers. You're not radical enough in your discipline. Your giving isn't substantial enough. And they might do it in a very critical and demeaning way. Do you see how they're they're talking about little pieces of the law or stuff they've made up and made their own law and missing the the big heading, love God and love people? And you're totally missing that. There's a huge log in your eye from the the summary of the law while you mess with little specks in other, other people's eyes. You're missing the main thrust of the law. Something like this that he says in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus definitely is is okay with some sort of judging, apparently. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, a follower, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What's that a result of? I think Jesus is saying you're, you're bringing them in and you're teaching them these ex- same judgmental ways, missing the, the big picture of the law, love God and love others. And, and you're making them twice as, worse, twice as bad as you are. By teaching them these ways. Well, let's look also about what judging does to relationships. You know, are these type of people, these law guy people, are they really fun to be around? Like, are they just the life of the party? You know, it's like, hey, can you come over to a party at my house? Sure. What kind of party is it? It's a judging party. I've got my, you know, number one judging friends coming over. I'm busy. You know, I don't want to be around those people. No thanks. Telling me about how bad I am, I think I get it. Other than me telling you every Sunday how bad you are, that's okay. That's different. (laughs) It destroys relationships, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Go talk to anyone in this room who's been married for 15 years or more and ask them if if it's a wise thing to try to change your spouse and see what they say. Should I try to change my spouse? Is that a good idea? The floor is yours. You know, I can tell you the answer will be probably not a good idea to judge and criticize and try to change everything about him. It's not going to work. It's going to destroy the relationship. And if, if judging destroys relationships, and part of this whole deal is that God has always promised to have a people for himself, a new community of people that would proclaim who he is to the world. And, and Jesus says things like, they'll know you by your love for one another, then judging must be a terrible thing because it ruins that whole thing. It doesn't allow us to be to the world a picture of the gospel of love and grace. Instead, there's fighting and division, and it looks no different than anything else. Well, Jesus gives us somewhat of a solution here in verse 5, thank goodness. First, Take the log out of your eye. Now, I see this, and this is just my opinion, so think through this, but I see this as more sarcasm from Jesus. As if you can just, if you have a log in your eye, just remove it. But that's what these people act like, isn't it? You treat other people with the speck in their eye like all they need to do is simply just pull it out. Like, there's sin in your life. Just stop it. So why don't you guys go ahead with that huge log that you have and just go ahead and just remove it? Since it's so easy to remove sin from your life, why don't you go ahead and do that? That's kind of how I see Jesus saying this to them because it's clearly not easy to just take a log out of your eye. It's clearly not easy if you have sin in your life to just get rid of it. Was that the message of Jesus? No, it was repent and believe the gospel, right? You can't fix your sin. You're only saved from it and rescued from it by God. And so I see this as kind of another sarcastic comment from Jesus trying to help them see how ridiculous it is again to judge other people. He's kind of telling them, I think, you guys think you're so free. You don't realize how hemmed in you are. You don't understand the depravity of your soul. You act like you can just stop sinning if you don't want to sin. That's not a good understanding of sin, Jesus is saying. It's it's a part of you. It's from Adam, a part of all of humanity since then. And so you can't just stop or hop out of that line. It's a part of you. It's It's wrapped up in your DNA. It's who you are. You need more than someone just to point it out and tell you to get rid of it. You can't escape it. You can't fix it. You're a slave to sin. You need divine intervention. Which is why we would read something like Psalm 139:23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting do you see the dependence there upon divine intervention? Show me my sin. I, I don't see the nooks and crannies of my heart, but I know you do. And there's probably some bad stuff in there, so bring it out. So I'm probably denying it right now. Probably living, living in denial. Now, this is why people in recovery, I think, have probably one of the best views on the actual state of the human soul. Because they've gotten to a place where they've realized, I can't get myself out of this. And that's all of us. They just have had the blessing maybe of seeing it in kind of technicolor in their lives, you know? So I encourage you to go talk to someone in recovery and say, you know, my story's not exactly that, but that's kind of like a parable of my life, actually. Different circumstances, maybe different sins, but uh, that sounds really familiar. Paul Zoll, a pastor and author that I read a lot, says this, I'm grateful he's made me see that I'm an idiot so that I'm a little less quick to judge other idiots. That's good theology right there. That's what God has done when we understand the depravity of our soul. And I know I'm an idiot, so I'm not going around quickly judging other idiots. That's, That's not a good idea. Well, what can help us see the beam, the log in our eye? What are some things that can help? Here's a few. Number one, know that you're blind and pray like that Psalm 139. God, search my heart. Know my desires. Know my thoughts. I'm missing them. Pray like that and ask his help and divine intervention, knowing that's the only way it's going to happen. Secondly, rehearse the gospel regularly. What's that mean? Go through the tenets of the gospel often. If you want an easy way, just memorize 1 Timothy 1.15. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Just memorize that and let that roll through your head several times, several times a day. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. That will remove a lot of the judging and help us see the log in our own eye. Thirdly, we do need to hear the word weekly. We don't come here just because we're bored. We really think, and the church for centuries has said, we need to come together every week and be refreshed with the message of the gospel once again. Reminded we're sinners, reminded Jesus has saved us and now our life is in Him together. We need to be reminded of that weekly. And so it's an important thing to hear that message together weekly. And then lastly, maybe get with a group of people who love you and will extend this grace and peace and love to you. They will extend God's grace to you on sort of a human horizontal level, and then we'll start to understand it a little better. Now, let's finish up with this last verse about the dogs and pigs from Jesus. Don't give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. I think what Jesus is saying here is he, he's kind of been talking to the, to the religious elite, and now I think he kind of turns to the, all the just everyday sinners, and he kind of says something to them. And I think it's in reference to them with their hearing it. And basically he's saying, hey, look, don't try to give the pearl of God's grace to people who don't need grace. It's a waste of your time. If they think they're perfect, then don't waste your time trying to tell them how ter- terrible they are because what they'll do is they'll spin it around on you, make it about you, and they'll turn and devour you. Now, what does Jesus know about that? How would he know anything about that? Is this storyline remind you of anything that's coming in his future? He's coming with the message the good news that God has come to save sinners. That we now have hope in Him. And what do they do? They turn it around and accuse Him. And they accuse Him of being evil. And they even put Him on a cross and murder Him, devour Him. So He knows what this is like. And the same thing that happened then is happening today. Yes, God? some of the people then they welcomed that message and some people today welcome that message too but it's the same people that welcomed it then it's the sinners and tax collectors and addicts and rejects and bottom dwellers and the really bad people those are the people that welcomed his message those are the people that welcome his message today too So if you're part of that group, welcome. Jesus has great news for you. Salvation in him. So instead of trying to fix your sin or neglecting your sin and walking around with this ridiculous log in your eye, we encourage you today, accept it, the fact that you're a sinner, that you have a huge log in your eye and you can't remove it yourself. The good news is that Jesus came to remove that, to die for that sin so that it's no longer yours. It was put upon him, and he took it. And now we get new life, no log, new life in Him. So when we come to the table today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the exchange of our sin for His righteousness. Okay, take all my sin, give me all your righteousness. That's a good deal, I'll take that deal. So as you come to the table today, I hope you've come hungry from a week of maybe feasting on other things. And now we come together to remind one another that we feast on Jesus and His righteousness, His righteousness alone. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that You continue to put this message into our hearts, massage it deep into our hearts. May we understand more of the depravity of our soul, and may it not send us into depression, but may we turn to You and look upward and see our life and see our hope. And may that bring joy to our soul. And may we use that same grid to look at others and their sin and present to them the hope that is ours, Christ Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.